I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. And did you know, J. Cole is rich? <laughs> and did you know, I'm Drake to the Fifth Element, where we highlight the Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. I knew that. <laughs> you, 170 you, say, times it, you say it as many times as J. Cole says it in one verse, to be honest. <laughs> And for the 156th time, <laughs> welcome to Digging in the Ditches. I, I love it actually. Um, shout out to Ryan, the Central Source, uh, made an absolutely banger uh, just set of tweaks um, relating to that uh, to the J Cole, to the J Cole. I'm rich bars. It's, it literally, he literally, like I, oh, I haven't. Check those out. Spoiler alert. I did, spoiler alert. I haven't listened to the uh, to the mixtape yet, but um, it's uh, it, it was just completely hilarious um, of him uh, cutting up uh, of actually finding the lyric where he literally says, "I get money." Like it, it's 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 past parody now. It's past parody where like he's literally just saying it. Oh, he's doing it. This so is he says, this is authentic at this point. Yeah, man, exactly. It's crazy. So he says, uh, "Gonna listen to the Dreamville album just to make sure that J Cole's rich." And then he, then he goes, "Oh, thank God to the picture of Good Lord has never forsaken me and God I trust, so I get money faithfully, not just occasionally." Line explained: J Cole's receiving money, making his life easier and more desirable. But he not only gets money, he does it extremely often. This means he has a lot of money, meaning his life is very easy and very desirable. The world is suffering. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, what a banger of a tweet. Shout out to Ryan. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What have you listened to this week? Yeah, this week. This w- well, I will get into that in a second because I did listen to the Dreamville tape. But first... <sighs> First, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to drag the Red Hot Chili Peppers all up and down the street, oh, up no. and down the street, oh. up and down the Shame. street. I don't even know Shame. what the... I, I've forgotten what the album's called. I don't give a care. Unlimited <laughs> something <laughs> or limited... God, I fu- look, look. Are we going to put that in the description, Red Hot Chili Peppers, whatever the fuck is? It doesn't matter. That's the that's the name of the album title. <laughs> that Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Look. Californication has become the nadir of the funk rock phenomenon. The earworm, high watermark, but the artistic death of a genre that it always flirted heavily with cancelling itself by virtue of its popularity. But it just snuck over the line. It just like Rage Against a Machine, Talking Heads, Blondie. If if In Excess couldn't kill this subgenre, then it surely couldn't be killed, right? Then Red Hot Chili Peppers came through and scorched the earth, and this album is them doubling back to salt it so that future bands will never, ever, ever get any type of artistic credibility. Because the problem is, the problem is anyone who wants to follow the same path that the Chili Peppers like went, they're not going to start at Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic. They're going to start at By The Way. 
Because why wouldn't you start it, by the way? Like, that's the place to start. And, bro, this album sucks, man. It feels like they gave Flea a lobotomy and told him to record an album as some sort of sick social experiment. I actually had to double-check if he was even still a member of the band. Because I feel like they could have just grabbed the bloke who does, like, the pop bass guitar preset on Fruity Loops, gave him 50 bucks and said, Hey, bro, can you come up with some bass lines for us? And somehow, John Frusciante's on here. Like, I've tried to write a sentence after that, but nothing can explain how absent he is. There's no simile or metaphor I can use to be like, this is how absent he is. Because, or at least any any semblance of the energy and fearlessness they once have. And the positives of this album, they're solitary. Black Summer, it's a brilliant song. Beautiful, thoughtful riff, rooted deeply in their now iconic signature sound, which hasn't come, like, it's not as ubiquitous as, say, Johnny Marr's jangly guitars, but I think it it won't be as ubiquitous as that, but in time, I really do think a lot more bands will start sounding like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anthony Kiedis drops a little bit of cringe, but that dirty riff from Frashanti just, it gives way to this beautiful, warm groove, and it's sticky enough to pull you into Anthony Kiedis' lyrics. But to me, that's where the positives absolutely end. Like, it doesn't, like, look, listen to Anthony's lyrics from 1991 on a song called Mellowship Slinky in B Major, which is a fucking amazing name for a song. But it says, Being that I'm the Duke of my domain, my hat goes off to Mark Twain, singing a song about what true men don't do, killing another creature that's kind of blue, writing about the world of the wild coyote, good man, Truman Capote, talking about my thoughts because they must grow, cock my brain to shoot my load. Bro, that is fucking... All his lyrics were like that back in the day. All of them were incredible. Now, listen to the lyrics of the abhorrently titled Aquatic Mouth Dance. Aquatic Mouth Dance is waiting for you. Aquatic Mouth Dance is waiting for you now. Aquatic Mouth Dance is waiting... Bro, what are we doing Uh. here? That is, that's the third track on a 17-song, 73-minute album. Just fucking no. No, 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 no. Like, you listen to Not The One, and that is exactly the genre described by Marge Simpson as wuss rock. If you remember that Simpsons episode, Bart's like, what kind of music is this? Crud rock? And she's like, no. And he goes, wuss rock? She's like, that's it. This is fucking wuss rock. It's just like... Poster Child is if Ed Sheeran tried to interpolate Flea. The Great Apes is semi-decent until Anthony sings, All of my love and half my kisses. Superstar, don't do the dishes. I just want the Great Apes to be free. Come on now, you lazy cowboy. Heads or tails, but not right now, boy. I just want the Great Apes to be free. It's like Michael Bublé crooning Save the Whales over the top of a Maroon 5 song. It's fucking horrible, man. It's not even that the instrumentals are just horrible. Like, Anthony Kiedis <laughs> could make Dr. Luke sound like DJ Premier, but his lyrics are so depleted. White Braids and Pillow Chair, it's just an awful song. And this is this is Anthony's explanation about that song. He said, This dude was immaculate with his waist-long white braids, and his beautiful partner brought her own pillow to put up on the chair of this coffee shop. I fell in love with their love and made a mental note. White braids and pillow chair needs to be a song someday. Like, I I can't even, I can't say it any better than that, bro. Like, you're, you're singing about shit you've seen in a coffee shop at this point from, like, the boomer generation. It's just, 
We've spoken ad nauseum on this podcast about the fraught nature of positivity in music. Coldplay did it a couple of times and hit. The Beatles could do it. But if you can find me a band who transitioned from obscure pain and melancholy into uplifting positivity without losing their edge, I'll find you 97 that fucking turned into the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2022. Like This is to be avoided at all fucking costs. Uh, Dreamville, D-Day. Now, much more positive. I don't think there's a better roster right now than Dreamville. And the wild thing is there might be better rosters in terms of quality like or potential, but they don't deliver like this. They don't deliver like this. This is fucking wild, man. And talk to me about TDE all the time, right? And tell me if TDE dropped more often, they'd be higher up in this conversation. But Baz hasn't dropped since 2018. Ari Lennox hasn't dropped since 2019. JID 2018. Cos 2018. Omen 2015. I think Loot was way longer before he dropped last year. And I I do wonder what the strategy actually is because I feel the quality of the performances on this tape point to Dreamville having a fully loaded clip ready to unleash. But there's no indication that they're planning like a good music kind of takeover kind of thing. You know, we got an Earth Gang album this year. We got albums from Cole and Loot last year, Spillage Village in 2020. But I'm a little bit confused as to what the direction is and where they're going. But this tape is a great stopgap, man. It's a really good check-in. It starts really inauspiciously. JID opens the tape with hand on my dick and hand on my gun. One is for shooting and one is for fun. I was like, oh no, where are we going with this? No. But nah, man, it's, it's fucking great. Like JID was powerful. Adult nursery rhyme. Yeah, it's a rough one. It was a rough one. But I felt Here like- Here is my dick. Here is my gun. <laughs> <laughs> don't put- I don't want to see his dick. Like <laughs> but like, look, man, I thought JID was great on here. Loot, Cos, and <laughs> Omen were the standouts, though, for me. Starting Five, my favorite song on the tape. <clears throat> Loot went in, man. Like, really went in. Cos, I thought, had the best verse on that. Uh, drive-bys where I reside often. Beautiful black lives sit inside that coffin. We gotta realize it's toxic. Fuck a stick up. Put the sticks up. Let's stick through hardships. We're already exhausted. Because long as, because along with living as living targets to these officers... And I think I think Omen cleaned it up really well. Uh, I thought they were just light years ahead of everyone else on this tape, except Two Chains. Surprisingly, uh, I thought his two verses were fucking great. Really more more impactful than the project he dropped. Fuck, I can't even remember. Did he drop this year or last year? Bro, that 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 dropped off real quick from rotation. Yeah. But like this was mm-hmm. old school Two Chains. You know the kind of guy you'd play in the schoolyard just to see who laughed and who cringed. Like you know, because it's just you're gonna get both reactions. And then you know we do have to speak a little bit about J Cole because look, I don't know what type of time he's on right now. You know he seems hell bent on just flexing, and I don't know why. On Heaven's EP, he says some people say that I'm running third. They threw the bronze at me behind Drake and Dot. Yeah, they're superstars to me. Maybe deep down, I'm afraid of my luminosity. So when you see me on red carpets, I'm moving awkwardly, posing all nervous, afraid of the judgment, and the thought of showing too much of my day is repugnant. If that's so, then why did you rap? In God I trust so I get money faithfully, not just occasionally. Gotta make cake every day like I work for a bakery. I know you pussy, the secret's not safe with me. Or, money's so long... If I start in the south and spread this shit out, it'd be touching like Portland. Like what? 
what are we doing here? And if that that's what's locking you out of the top two, it's locking him out of the top ten in my view. On Johnny P's caddy, he comes in with this. He goes, on the night I was born, the rain was pouring, God was crying, lightning struck, power outage, sparks was flying, the real ones here, the young boy that walks with lions around the outlines of chalks where corpses lying. Like he can do that. And then he raps on that that same verse, I'm probably going to go to hell and if Jesus asks for a feature. Like, fuck me, that's incredible. But then, you know, that's, that's the coal who turns the top three debate into a whole other conversation because it's not gold, silver, bronze. When coal raps like that, it's just three. It's the big three. There's no one, two, three. It is Cole, Kendrick, Drake. They're, they're the same. They all bring something differently, but they're equally as valuable. But he doesn't do it as consistently as Drake and Kendrick. And that's the problem. That's why he gets the bronze. Or in my scoring, is well outside the top 10. There are plenty of artists more consistent. Their highs are not as high as because how could they be? J. Cole in top form, I think, is really only matched by Kendrick if we're talking impact, message, delivery, lyricism, popularity, like all of those things put together. But can you imagine Kendrick rapping this unironically in 2022 came through with a bad bit in bitch in tight britches made the hoe book her own flight i'm type vicious j cole you are 37 years old and married with two children you don't need to rap like this anymore man seriously you know and i saw someone say you have to put cole above both drake and kendrick because of dreamville fuck yes you do can we fuck yes you do Cole is channeling that like late 90s, 2000s energy, that Rockefeller, shady, aftermath, G-unit, diplomats, disturbing the peace, no limit, man. I love that era. I love it. I've got Cole head and shoulders above Drake in that category. The way he nurtures his label is beautiful. The roster is deeply talented and committed, and that is on Cole. You know, Cole is the one. And if that's his legacy, there's no one else in his league from his generation. Not even close. Find me someone. There's fucking not. And, you know, he's a one of one in that to me. And this tape is fire, but, you know, you knew it would be. Ever since Revenge of the Dreamers 3 dropped, we knew this roster was was always going to drop something special. And, uh, yeah, I really love that. Um, I quickly just want to talk about Black Shadori and Ayo Shamir's Journey into Mystery Schools Volume 1. Look, man, I wrote a lot here, but... This is fucking insane, man. If you don't know what the Kemetic Mystery Schools is, it's an Egyptian education system that played a huge role in the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, Basically, what you're going to get from this tape is you're going to go away, you're going to research the Kemetic Mystery Schools, you're going to be like, hang on a sec, how the fuck did I not know about this? Then you're going to question pretty much everything you've ever been taught, and you're going to go down all these rabbit holes and start to learn and start to find more objective sources than the sources we've been given you know hippocrates pythagoras socrates plato Thales, they all traveled to kemet and studied the the wasa and the ipse isut and plato said this he said the kemetic mystery system was based upon a wide array of human knowledge and encompassed math writing physical science religion and the supernatural pythagoras learned calculus and geometry from the egyptians and then he's the one, like the Age of Enlightenment is seen as the creation of the scientific method. It's basically what we can give, like the majority of our objective knowledge in the present day comes from the Age of Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment mm-hmm. came from the Kemetic Mystery Schools, which came from Egypt. So if you're being mm-hmm. taught that the Age of Enlightenment is where it begins, you, your history has been whitewashed. And 
the thing about Black Shidori is he's not going to go to you and give you all this knowledge. He's going to spark you to question the things that you've been taught and send you down these rabbit holes yourself. His whole thing is, I'm not going to teach you. You need to teach yourself, all individuals. We all need to work out our own version of events. We all need to work out our own methods of discovery. And he's just laying it out so that you can go down these rabbit holes yourself and... Look, man, it's a great fight. It's only four tracks. Give it a spin. Uh, fully recommend it. <coughs> and quickly, finally, see Scripture just dropped a three-track EP, and it is fucking straight-up fire. He is getting better and better with everything he drops. And uh, look, man, I feel fully com- confident. Anyone listening to this right now, just go type that into Spotify. Three songs, listen to it, and I promise you, you will fucking enjoy it. It, it is really high-quality. So yeah, that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, so uh, going to four projects. Um, I started off with Sunny Cologne, uh, Juju and the Flowerbug, and this is definitely something to put. Uh, yeah, it's a great name for an album. Um, and yeah, this is definitely something for the uh, for the for the shortlist uh, for me personally. Um, I feel like uh, the, the 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 funk riffs, the disco elements. Um, the wonderful voice um, throughout. There's so many good tracks all over this. Um, it's the first track, Universe for Two, is just a nice start where it's just like, Universe for Two. It's, it's, just, it's just super nice. Uh, but yeah, man, the whole album itself just really, really hits for me. Um, it's just a consistent theme, um, wonderful voice throughout. Um, I'm trying to think of like uh, why I wasn't so, uh, why I wasn't like, screaming about his uh previous his previous album I was trying to think about it um but uh, regardless of that um this album's just uh absolutely amazing supernatural woman uh the child tra- juju uh, kind of the title track uh yeah man it's just some really good stuff all over this and um yeah man it's only it's only 30 minutes 10 songs 30 minutes it's really succinct really just tight um and really just uh, is one of the most replayable records I feel like um, is probably out today. Uh, which one was next? Uh, Pete Rock, Pete Instrumentals Four. You know it. You know you know the vibes. Pete Rock, um, Legends, top five in my mind. Uh, coming through with a nice uh, fourteen pack, uh, just under an hour. And uh, yeah, man, it's just some really good stuff in here. Uh, Time for Learning is probably my favourite. Uh, favorite out of these and the first couple of tracks as well uh, very nice of uh, the more Jamaican uh, samples uh, Jamaican bass samples or um, or island samples whatever might not be Jamaica um, but yeah it's it's, uh, it's it's a solid project like it's, you know it's Peace Jamaicans it's um, standard procedure um, always something that's always something worthy of a spin uh, MERS uh, with Recognize uh, uh, MERS to Miami seven tracks uh, 23 minutes really solid really good stuff um, always a always a always a spin a bit of Murs so uh, whenever he drops see what he's see what he's talking about and yeah some really good stuff here you me you and me versus everybody season two uh, fifty two weeks with Mayday um, really good stuff all over um, shout to recognize on the production really solid production on that as well and yeah man just solid um, solid DP definitely definitely solid DP and lastly old Burger Beats uh, <laughs> always always a favorite to say uh, for myself personally uh, with Loft. Um, I really enjoyed this album just from a uh, production standpoint. Um, it's obviously all inst- uh, it's all instrumental, and um, it just really goes. It fucking goes, bro. Um, there is just so much heat on here, uh, production wise. You got um, 
you just got a uh, great uh, live horns uh, from like the likes of uh, Ralph Thomas, Idris Ackermore, uh Wendell Harrison. Um, and it's just really, really solid. It's like hip hop beats, but you got these like saxophones coming in all the time. And the whole project itself, you know, 12 tracks, 30 something minutes. Um, it really just blends all together so well. Um, I ended up, uh, it ended up going past the album for me. Um, and uh, just playing the singles that old Burger Bees has, um, uh, on autoplay. Um, so, but I didn't even notice until like until the song started repeating. I was just like, "What's going on?" Um, so yeah, it's just an absolute dream of an album. Um, definitely instrumentally, and yeah, that's a, that's a solid start. Shout out to old Burger Beats, uh, which I always enjoy saying. And um, with that said, we shall hop into the thirteenth edition of DITD Bites. If you guys aren't aware what DITD Bites is, uh, three topics of um, certain you know conversational natures um, that we don't really have like you know enough ammo to talk about for a whole episode so we put it in some bite-sized uh, chunks and uh, you know just general discourse general chit chat about certain things to do with music and uh, yeah we've got three topics as per usual and uh, I don't know which one to begin with Ben uh, I don't know if yours or mine I mean I have two so <laughs> uh, let's do one of yours alright cool Um, so I wrote something um, a couple of uh, about a month ago um, on the fifth element, um, which I rarely do. So you know, it's a rare occurrence. But we we get in now and again. Um, so I basically wrote about age, and I'll I'll drop the I'll drop the article link in the description if you for those want to read. Um, but basically, um, it's about age and basically how hip hop. Obviously, you know, in the past, well hip-hop is about to be 50 years old um as a as a you know as a concept as a culture um you know since 1973 so it's going to it's 49 and uh, it's gonna be 50 next year so you know it's a lot of history there um to obviously cover but um you know pertaining to age i feel like hip-hop has always been uh not given the opportunity to age if that makes any sense as it pertains to the music so you know, every time, you know, there was, there was really a time when if you turned like 30, you know, people weren't fucking with you. No it was more. over. You know I mean, it's, 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 it's raps. Like you're, you're, you're an elder statesman. You're, you're done. Uh, do, go do something else. Right. And you know, that's kind of the reason why a lot of, art, a lot of artists, you know, Queen Latifah comes to mind. I feel that, you know, when they get to a certain age, they're just like, all right, let me do something else. And they go, you know, to business or act or, you know, different, t- uh, different, uh, sec- sector of the arts, uh, whether it be acting, uh, you know, just general film, TV, uh, re- whatever, or go into radio, get a show, whatever, you know, I mean, stuff like that. Become a media personality, shout to button. Um, you know, so there's there's always that there's always that stigma um, to there always has been that stigma to someone that has turned eight, uh, turned thirty, and uh, you know, it's like, oh, he's washed, uh, he's he's not the same as you know, he's he's not as hungry, yada yada yada. Um, but I feel like that entire conversation has not just kind of been removed now with the likes of you know Jay removing uh, Jay releasing four forty four a few years ago, Nas obviously with his recent um recent run, um as he turns nearly turns uh, turns nearly fifty, um the likes likes of Sky Zoo, um dropping his best work at forty, um Arrested Development and they're I assume around all for, all around the age of forty fifty and they're still dropping good stuff. 
um, it it really it sets a precedent for me that artists can Vic Spencer. <laughs> he's forty. He's dropping heat. Um, you know, shout out to him. Uh, everyone, there's people artists are able to age now, and I haven't even named UK artists. You know, Skepta's thirty something. Jamie's thirty something. Dizzy Rascal's thirty something. Um, you know, all of the all of them are thirty something. You know, Wiley's forty something. So you know, all of the legends are aging. And while we could obviously, you know, we've talked about death in hip hop a lot, um, you know, in in, uh, in in past shows and stuff like that, and in different contexts. Um, but you know, I feel like this is in this is a really, uh, I think, interesting way to look at things, uh, and a in a different way, in a more positive way to look at things. Where you know, we're watching our we're watching heroes age, and they're not and they're being encouraged in the, in themselves to you know. Keep, to keep doing it and i'm waiting for the moment and uh I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the moment that i that we're older um you know uh we're in our 50s or whatever right for example and we get to hear an album from an artist that we like and they're in their 70s or whatever and you know and they're dropping stuff you know it's it, i don't see why it can't happen now um, in the future, especially where um, they're doing the exact same thing that Rolling Stones are doing, um, the exact same Johnny thing. Cash, that man. Johnny Cash, right before he passed. Johnny Cash, David Bowie, right exactly. before he passed. Like Black, David Bowie. Black that's Stars, a great example. David Black Star is one of the greatest, exactly. one of Bowie's best albums. Great example, right? So you know that's a great example to think about that he dropped that. And it was just clearly just a I'm dying, here's some vibes kind of album, right? <laughs> to put it simply. But imagine that from a Nas. Imagine that, not not like I'm dying, but you know, I'm older. I'm even older than older. I'm even older than I was you know, when I was 40. You know, I dropped King's Disease or 2 or whatever, right? I'm older, I'm 70. Here's some thoughts about me being 70. We have never had that before. And that is really something that I just really look forward to down the line when we see these heroes of now get older and even with you know the Griselda lot right you know they're in their 30s and they've all and they've just come on the come up you know what I mean and it's it's interesting like not everybody comes in at 20 not everybody comes in at 18 16 whatever right nobody, nobody comes in at 25 and not many come on 25 Everyone has their own journey on that front, and um, but we're all going to get older at some point. So I'm just uh, I'm always thinking about what who are the artists that are going to do that kind of Black Star album that are going to kind of do that Johnny Cash record where they're super old, they have no right being on a track, but they're being on a track because they artistically still have something to say. And we're going to, and, and you know, as fans of those people for however many decades, still spin that and still manage to find something uh, out of their work as well. Um, it's just a prospect that I kind of wanted to throw out there into into the ether, and uh, and uh, you know, just 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 think about that, man. Just just think about how fire that could be. Where like you know. I don't know, DJ Premier dropping a beat tape at 70, like, or, or just like producing 
some producing for an artist who's in their 20s or something like that, you know what I mean? Like in the same way how Quincy Jones works with, you know, younger artists or whatever. Um, just that kind of dynamic as well from a producing standpoint. I'd love to see that. I would love to see, yeah, somebody just reaching out to DJ Premier and just going like, hey, I've got this album, you know what I mean? I want some, I want some real, you know, classic shit on it. Mate, just that prospect really just makes me excited for hip-hop not just turning 50 but um for the future of hip-hop ahead no absolutely i actually uh i wrote an article about this in 2017 because it's a fascinating look around 2017 there was uh i guess even during the 2010s there was criticism of rappers aging and and i opened the article by saying this uh 50 cent claims jay-z can't be the best rapper at 47 which he said Andre 3000 doesn't want to rap beyond the age of 40, which he barely has. Drake didn't want to be rapping post-35. That didn't come true. Young Thug, belie- Young Thug believes teenagers won't listen to you once you turn 30. And then I said on the flip side, you have older artists like the LOX claiming ageism is a myth. Now, what I did in that article was I went through uh, the critical review score, total sales, chart position, how many years the artist has been in the game when the album was released, how old the rapper... I went through a whole bunch of things, right? And what I discovered was uh, commercial success definitely dips after the age of around 35. It's statistically provable that that is what happens. But critical review scores do not dip at all. Uh, I think it was like post 48 or something, they dipped a little bit. But like... The data set was so small, as Charlie said, we don't have enough artists over the age of 50 for me to have an accurate data set. And so the whole thing in my head was just like, the problem is always going to be how marketable are these artists. And what I find really fascinating about this whole discussion is who's going to be the rolling stones of our generation? Who's going to be the Billy Joel, who's going to be the Eagles, the Grateful Deads, you know, these guys have been touring forever, Bruce Springsteen, man, Bruce Springsteen is doing three-hour shows in his 60s, like, that is insanity, and, you know, they talked about it a lot with Jay-Z, I saw an article a couple of days ago, talking about the 360 deal Jay-Z did with Live Nation, and I think it was, what, 08, 09, or something like that, and I think he re-upped it a decade later, I can't remember the the exact specifics of the deal, but it was worth a lot. And they basically said that uh, pretty much for everyone else, a 360 deal is not a good idea. But for Jay-Z, it made perfect sense because he just got bank. And it was just like his whole situation with music was sorted by this 360 deal. But what it entailed was touring. He had to tour. He's going to have to continue to tour for the next decade. He's going to have to be playing live shows. And I find that really fascinating. A lot of people are saying, you know, you don't want older people up on, older rappers up on stage because they don't have the energy and the vibrancy of, of the youth. But bro, look, yeah, I went and saw the Beach Boys at their 50th anniversary tour and it was fucking transcendent. Like they had to, like, it was, it was incredible. It was a really beautiful fucking show. It was really beautiful. And I, I'm very curious to see how this goes. I was actually in the car with my partner on the weekend. Uh, we drove to buy a motorbike, which I've I've bought and ridden, and it's fucking amazing. And we played Watch the Throne, and I said, you know, <laughs> she's like, wait, Beyonce, Kanye, and Jay Z on the same song? We have to listen to that. I'm like. 
that song is trash. Like, lift off. I'm like, wait till you get to Jay-Z's verse. He's like, shit is making my dick soft. Lift off. And she's like, what is this? And I'm like, all right, we'll go play the third verse to Smile or go play Marcy Me. So we played Marcy Me. It's like, Marcy Me, the streets is my artery, the vein of my existence. I'm the Gotham City heartbeat. Like, and then the way that he and I said, now we'll listen to a written testimony and we'll listen to Jay-Z's verses on that. And, you know, it was only nine years difference, but she was even like, what the fuck? Like, this is an entirely different artist. And I said, yeah, he's aging gracefully. You know, Jay-Z is aging gracefully. Nas is aging gracefully. And I, I juxtaposed that and, and played her some, like, recent Eminem. And she was just like... <laughs> what is it how old is this man i'm like i think he's like 48 and she's like wow okay so it's like it's it's interesting it's it's very it's very interesting the way that uh some artists have really transitioned to older age and look at i mean look at the griselda boys and the thing is like 40 is not that old the 40 is not that fucking old it might feel like it's old when you're 20 but like you look at uh ceos you look at politicians you look at so many parts of modern society where people over the age of 40 that's when you've done the hard work now you get to reap the spoils now you get to inhabit all that hard work and all that energy you've put into your life and start to live it and so i'm very excited to see how artists transition into their older years i mean the 30s seems to be a really i don't know how you feel about this charlie but look drake released clb and he's what 36 35 something like that drake age hang on that is 35 years old okay certified lover boy is a weird album for a 35 year old to release i'm 30 (laughs) i'm 33 and you know you might be sitting at home thinking you're probably sitting at home at 20 thinking yeah it's not that weird i hope i'm still as sexually vibrant at the age of 35 but no, it's not mm. it's not like that guys. At least in my experience, in my experience with my 30 mid 30 year old friends and I'm mid 30s, no one in my life is living a life like Drake. And I'm not to say money-wise and and success-wise. I'm talking the way that he talks about relationships and about women and about you know, those people are people you meet on dating sites and you swipe left pretty quickly because there's a shitload of red flags there. But again, you know, that's Drake's experience. And I'm very curious to see how that goes. And, and I always said, I always thought Certified Loverboy would be the next, the, the beginning of the next phase of his career. But it you is... You thought? I thought, and I was wrong. It's a continuation of what he was doing previously, right? But I still do think at some point, Drake is going to have to transition into his late 30s and early 40s. How is that going to go? You know, how, look at future. What what are we going to be getting in 10 years from future? These are all deeply, deeply exciting questions. And I'm stoked that ageism does not exist in hip-hop. I'm absolutely stoked that artists are still releasing music and still popular in their late 30s. Look at Nicki, she's, what, 38? Lil Wayne, 38. People fucking love them. And I'm, I'm just super curious to see... Yeah, where they go. Look at Two Chains. Two Chains is the most fascinating one, man. Two Chains dropped his debut album uh, as Two Chains at like 39, and he he rapped. She got a big booty, so I call her Big Booty at like age 40, bro. That is just if that that's fucking amazing. So yeah, no, it's it's an interesting debate. Yeah, 
the only the best example I can actually think of at this point in time that we could actually you know point to is probably like Public Enemy, um, uh, who yeah. you know Chuck D sixty one I think it's Flavor Flavor's a little bit older, um, you know so. Their last I mean, album was I, I, I've seen I've seen them live, huh? Their last album was twenty twenty. Uh yeah, uh, last year I think last when you what you can do when the grid goes down yeah so um fire you know they're they're still they're still producing shit they're still touring um you know stuff at this it's a really it's a, for, for, I think I know for Chuck D it's a real you know just like a badge of honor to be one of those you know similar to Rolling Stones and all them that still tour and still consistently tour um and do shows at, at sixty one I've I saw them live a couple of years ago and this and just their the energy is just still there, man. It, it's so it's 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 crazy to think about how you know that he still has that raw energy, um, regardless of the fact that he's sixty-one, right? So you know, there's someone like that. I feel like is a good beacon on that front and a good example of that. So yeah, and and the same, and you know, not to not to muddy this um, and to elongate this as also, but. It's interesting how, you know, we talk about coal and, you know, the money thing and not many people talk about, like, the future thing or the, uh, you know, the shtick, the them- the thematics of that, where it's just like, how old are you? Why are you still talking about this? Um, and, you know, I have that with a lot of artists as well, um, you know, and artists are still talking about, like, you know, stripper, mu- like, stripper music and stuff like that. I'm just like... How old are you? Like, <laughs> like finally, Snoop has finally gotten out of that. Like, he used to still do that. Like, uh, and then then there was a time where he literally said, "I quit pimping." Um, Thank I was God like, for okay. that. But I was like, "Good for you. You 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 already had like uh, you know, fr- uh, freaking two kids or whatever." But you know, it's good time. Good time is it? You know, no time like the present, I guess. So yeah, I just find it interesting, and obviously Drake's a great example of that as well. Where I'm just like. Bro, you still talking about this? Like, uh, my my God, okay. But you know, it's interesting, regardless. And um, yeah, I look forward to that f- uh, for that on the future. Yeah. Um. One, just one thing before yeah. we cl- we we skip to the next one. So, I've mm. tweeted about this a lot. Rapper ages, and they get a fuckload mm-hmm. of engagement. People are super curious about this. So I did like in 2020, I did Cole, Future, Gambit. Like J Cole was this. Now I'm gonna update their ages as I speak. 37, J. Cole, 38, Future and Childish Gambino, 39, Lil Wayne and Nicki Minaj, 44, 2 Chains and Pusha T, 45, J. Electronica, 46, 50 Cent, uh, J.I.D. is 31, Kendrick is 34, uh, Drake obviously 35, Lupe is 40, um, who else? Eminem's 49, Common, in, I think Common's... Lupe at 60 will be interesting. Oh, fuck me, I can't wait, man, I honestly can't wait. Wale's 39, Future's 39. Just on the future thing, it's kind of happening in Australia right now with our politicians is there's two parties. One party's the conservative party. One party's the left-leaning party. Whenever the left-leaning party does even a tiny little thing wrong, they just get obliterated in the press. Whenever the conservative party does something wrong, it's crickets because they do wrong shit all the time. Like you just expect them to be district you expect them to to spend five billion dollars on something that they never get delivered or you expect them to cut money from welfare or you expect them to bully or you expect them to be racist 
So I think that's the future Cole thing there. Like you're kind of expecting future to rap about what he raps about because that's what he's always rapped about. J. Cole made KOD. J. Cole made For Your Eyes Only. You know, it's a little bit different when you get the off season after KOD. Sure. So yeah, anyway, I just I, I found that interesting. I found that uh the ages. Nav's thirty two. Nav is thirty two. There you go. Nav is older than Fetty Wap. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Mm. All right, yeah, sure. Um, we can hop onto yours. DJ Speaking Drama. Two... DJ Drama versus oh, DJ Dara. Khaled. What a fucking... What is going on here? So, look. <coughs> I, I pitched this to Charlie. You, you, you offered it. <laughs> I pitched this to Charlie by being like, why does everyone hate DJ Khaled, but everyone loves DJ Drama? And... You, there's obvious reasons for this, but if you didn't know, and I, the, the reason I pitched this was because I saw some criticism of DJ Drama when uh, Call Me If You Get Lost came out, and people were like, who the fuck is this person screaming all over the tracks? <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? You guys don't know who DJ Drama is? So literally when... Kid Capri was on Damn. People like to say the exact same shit. Yeah, what? It's like you guys, Who's... not you, you. are telling on yourselves, my guy. I know. You are, you are self-reporting. Who is Heavy. this man? Who is Kid Capri? Like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a quick Google mm-hmm. search, but anyway, uh, DJ Drama has released over two hundred Gangster Grills tapes across his insane career. Dreamville, Gangsta Lil Wayne, Gangsta. Pharrell, Fifty Cent, Busta Rhymes, Charles Gambino, Ludacris, Jim Jones, Gangster Boo, Kevin Gates, Rhapsody, AR Ab, like. The list is fucking endless. And the thing is, it's hardly limited to the hottest rapper at the time. Tierra Marie, Lil Scrappy, Briscoe, Coco Bangs, Mano, Young Dro, BG, Sean Kingston. He even did one with R. Kelly. He's done one with fucking everyone, man. And look, it's not hard to see why DJ Drama is almost oh, a deity when it comes to mixtapes. Because what he did was, he expanded upon 50 Cent's early concept of a rapper consensually rapping over lifted instrumentals. Now, if we remember back to our podcast, uh, sorry, our podcast, our mixtape episode, mixtape DJs of the 90s were getting, they were, they were getting leaked verses from A&Rs and from people at labels and then creating these epic tapes based off unreleased materials. So, you know, you, you'll hear a lot of uh, mixtape DJs and just DJs in general saying that they would wait outside the offices of major labels until the A&Rs came down. And the A&Rs would like sneakily give them a, an unreleased DMX verse or an unreleased, you know, Biggie verse or an unreleased LOX verse. And then they put that on a mixtape with a bunch of other unreleased verses and you would literally get one of the greatest things of all time. And nowadays we, you know, we know about leaks. Leaks have been around forever and people listen to leaks all the time. But back then, imagine if you had like two DMX verses and two Biggie verses and two Styles P verses and two Jay-Z verses on the same tape. Like it was totally insane. But DJ Drama changed all that, you know. He he fostered relationships with the artists similar to how DJ Clue did it. But DJ Clue was a little bit different. DJ Drama, DJ Clue did what the mixtape DJs were doing in the 90s where they were collating a bunch of artists together and then putting them all on a tape together. But DJ Clue did it consensually. He got the artists onto the tape and said, give me your best performance. Just fucking kill each other on this tape. And that's what people did on those Clue tapes. They were just trying to kill each other. DJ Drama would get one artist and he would say, all right, I'm going to give you some insane beats, probably lifted. They're going to be from the hottest songs around. I'm going to yell in the background. And this is going to be the tape that, you know, uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, when major artists were, major rappers were releasing an album, they would always have a street single and a radio single. 
So for example, the Black Album with Jay-Z, the street single was Dirt Off Your Shoulder, the radio single was Change Clothes. And that would just kind of be a thing that would always happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be a thing that would always happen. So basically what what uh, what DJ Drama did, he was like, let's make a whole tape of street singles. And then you get like Dedication 2, for example. So, you know, a Gangsta Girls tape was synonymous with quality. And by its very nature, uh, it was the very antithesis of mainstream. It really was. And 50 Cent explained it really well. He said in an interview that he actually told vendors not to sell too many of his mixtapes because he might end up charting. He might end up... On the, ra- on the radar of people who are policing stolen beats. And the problem with drama is he got way too big too quickly. You know, he was one of the key architects of the renaissance of the de- defining quality of the 1980s golden era, which was sampling. But rather than remix the beat, he coaxed the greatest performance possible out of whomever he wanted to hop on a tape with. And there were a lot of people who wanted to hop on a tape with him. And then when drama was arrested, the community rallied around him because he was maintaining and preserving the purity of the MC. You know, drama tapes were a sonic experience. They were escapism from pop rap. There was no big single. There was no big feature needed. Lil Wayne in 2006 was rapping alongside all manner of people, you know, all manner of people that he wouldn't have rapped alongside on the Carter 2 or the Carter 3. He wouldn't have had them on there because that was a mainstream album. And... You know, DJ Khaled, if we're gonna if we're gonna juxtapose the two, complete opposite. Complete opposite. He's always actively courted the charts, which is likely a result of his close relationship with Birdman and Lil Wayne. He actually met them for the first time in nineteen ninety-three. And for thirteen years he hustled as a DJ and a radio host, cultivating relationships until he was ready to make his charge on his two thousand six independent album. Which was in as I say, independent. But it did so well, it went number 12 on the Billboard 200. And I think this only spurred him further. On We The Best from 2007, you know, there was no humility after this point from DJ Khaled. It was mainstream or die because We Taken Over went wild. That was the first song that I've really heard Lil Wayne on. And, you know, 12 albums, 15 years, three number one albums, nine top tens, six top ten songs, including a Hot 100 number one. DJ Khaled is the exact opposite of DJ Drama, and I find it so, so, so fascinating that they're very, very similar. They really are similar in a lot of ways, but they're the complete polar opposites. Like, they both speak on a track a lot. You know, they both they both impose themselves. And look, I'm not going to tell you that I like DJ Drama's vocals all the time. Sometimes they're really annoying. But I don't know, It's it just has this... It doesn't, it doesn't annoy me the way that... You know when, when you're in a friendship or in some sort of situation, there's already resentment, and then if someone does something annoying, it's like times 10. It's so fucking annoying. But if you really like someone and you really enjoy them and they do something annoying, you just don't care. And with DJ Drama, I just don't care. Like, it's a bit annoying. I'm, I kind of wish he wouldn't do it sometimes, but it doesn't bother me. When DJ Khaled does it, it really fucking annoys me. I'm like, bro, you're ruining the song right now. So... I thought I find it a really interesting juxtaposition where, you know, DJ Khaled and DJ Drama have been similar in execution, but have gone in completely different directions. Yeah, um, I feel like uh, you know, obviously, stylistically, they're kind of well, not stylistically, but um, in terms of motifs, obviously, you know, the shouting and invade and track invasion. 
Um, I'd uh, yeah. I mean, regardless of who that is, I I genuinely, you know, don't really care that much. Um, even with someone like Kid Capri, the reason why I rate Kid Capri is because it's not like it's not. I don't find it invasive. Every time he's on a track, it feels like he's part of the track, which I rate. You, you know, I mentioned Kenny. them. <clears throat> exactly. I meant I mentioned Dam and obviously that was that was kind of he was integrated in that. You know, uh Element for example, it's just like him that starting that with New Kung Fu Kenny. Um and then the track starts. It's not like him going Capri like in the middle of a verse. It's not he's not doing that. <coughs> Even when he did the uh, the track with Foxy Brown that I referenced in the Foxy Brown retrospective, like he was part of he was just part of the part of the hook. Like, and that was it. That's 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 fine. I I like that, right? But these guys just just stick their foot in it like randomly at random times, and it's just like go away, please. Like you, you like this verse is decent, and you're just killing it. So regardless of that, um, I feel like they both they're both really annoying on that front. Um, but like you said, the the denominate that's that's the that's the only place they're similar. Um, and the fact that they're producers—that's the only—that's the only way they're similar. Watching DJ Khaled just shill for all this is jarring. It's embarrassing, honestly. Not that I care for his—you know—how he acts or anything. Do what you do, what you do, bro. Get your pee. But like, it's embarrassing to watch sometimes. Just watching this guy like just shill for any any inch of chart space is jarring to see. Oh, I've got. Justin Bieber, SZA, this, that, this, and that on this album. It's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's plenty of albums that just have that, you know, flex features, right? And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't, right? That's how the game goes. Like, you literally mentioned, um, you mentioned, mentioned Niftoff, right? On paper, sounds good. Doesn't sound good when you listen shit, to shit it. Shit made so, my dick know. soft, man. <laughs> The question there is, Ben, what songs get your dick? Oh, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what songs turns you on, Ben? Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's an in, it's an inexact science. Um, you know, features, right? You know, you can have the top twenty charting artists of that that Billboard says in the past in the past year, and the album still might not hit, right? Or it might underwhelm at least. So you know, you never know how that goes. But eh, it's just the it's just the optics of it is so jarring. Like it's not like it doesn't feel like DJ Drama like goes to Lil Scrappy and says, "Do you want to do a Gangster Grills?" It seems like the other way around, right? I've, I and that's, that's speculative. Um, and also genu- genuinely, part of that is I think is, is what um, lends um, lends credibility to someone like Gangster. Uh, to, to to DJ Drama is is that he works with everybody, right? I'm I don't feel like that person where I just like I'm ha- I'm happy to work with everybody, right? I probably I, I don't think I am that kind of person, right? Um, but I, but you know all to, all the respect to him to do that, right? You know some most people would get too big on their on their in their on their pedestal in their own head and go like little scrappy <laughs> fuck well, you know go away you know what i mean stuff like that so you know you might see an artist and you're just like eh, i'm i'm cool i'm i'm a bit on the higher level um but 
he does every he, he does it with everybody like he said you know list off the names again it's, it's there's uh, absolute variety there and that's respectable but then comes bj Khaled with every name you've heard of and you know if it doesn't work then shit what are we doing here um it, it, it and, and you know it's just i don't know it just comes off as and, and the music itself obviously is a very there's a very big difference there where you know drama has the uh, you know, just like the real dingy, you know, New York hip hop, and then, uh, and then comes DJ Khaled with you know whatever's hitting right now. Oh, you're suddenly doing it's the same as it's the same as Drake in a way. It's like oh right, oh dancehall's hitting. Oh, yeah. Let's do dancehall like we're in tropical house. Every, oh okay, cool. Let's let's do tropical house. Oh let's do it. Afrobeat. Oh let's do it. Get on the phone. It's just it's just so obvious, and it's it doesn't lend itself to any. Uh, I don't know any mysticism. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm probably bullshitting from what I'm saying, but like, I, I don't know. It's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel authentic in any way. It's just like, oh right, let's just grab the roller deck. You know, grabbing the roller decks is just, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, that's the thing, right? Think about that. Grabbing the roller decks, right, and just you know hitting up your hottest contacts, and you're just like, let me get you, 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 you. A lot of people could do that, but most of them don't. You know what I mean? But DJ Khaled does every single time. Every single time, the biggest names on his shit, right? And but you know, you have like a Beyonce album, for example, and it's like, you know, Jack White, Kendrick, and that's it. She could get a lot more people on there. But she doesn't. Jay-Z could get a lot of people on his shit. But he doesn't. You know what I mean? A lot of artists can do this. Where they, you know, just rinse the Rolodex. But 99% of them don't. But the thing is... Why is DJ Khaled? The problem is... The problem is, not to cut you, but like what you're saying is very valid. I'm rambling. (laughs) The problem with what DJ Khaled does... If you're comparing him to DJ Clue... Okay, DJ Clue was putting out the professional tapes properly you know he wanted to to sell records it's different to dj drama It's probably a better comparison between clue and, and khaled khaled just throws people on tapes just fucking with no rhyme or reason with no it's just like let's just put these two random artists together dj clues putting artists on there who were trying to kill each other who were trying to like rap the bet you've got fucking cameron and fab on the same song you've got Eminem and Royce and Method Man on the same song. Like, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I, you know, it's just... You've got Jay-Z and Dog Pound on the same... You've got, like, Rockefeller and the Dog Pound on the same song. It's it's insane. And DJ Clue sat down and said, who is going to work best on this? It, I, f- I almost feel like Band From TV really helped that kind of aesthetic of, like... You got all these fucking rapper killers who were just trying to murder each other on wax. And DJ Clue was like, all right, let's get them on it all. They just do it for every song. And, and that's point. what he did. And, and DJ Khaled doesn't Very do that. Point. You know, it's okay yeah. to open yes, the roller decks. Yeah. Like Static Selector opens the roller decks. Metro Boomin's done it. Swiss sure. Beats has done sure. it. It's okay to do that. But like, fuck sure. me, you've got to do it in the right way. You can't just be like, so, yeah. Right. So, so it's not so. It's, okay, so it's let's, even worse let's than what you're this. saying. It's even worse. Than, it's more egregious <laughs> than what you're saying because you're saying like he's just opening the roller yeah. decks indiscriminately, but he's doing it like really ineptly with, with ineptitude. With, yeah, exactly with no 
with no uh, with no like uh, uh, what's the word? With no attention to the concept of production. No. Of of not of not just here's a beat and do what you want on it. It's here's a beat. Here's what I want you to do on this beat. And obviously for clue tapes, for example, it's kill each other, right? <laughs> for stack selector, it's you know here's here's a chill beat. I want a chill song, whatever, right? Or here's uh, you know just you know, I want a bar exam. Let's do some bar exam, right? Khalid, here's a beat. Here's you. <laughs> you two have nothing to do with each other, but let's just slap it together for for just for the fact that oh we put Big Sean and Justin Bieber on the track. Mm. Not 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 with like no thought of the fact that does it work? Is there chemistry there? Nope, nope. Names, bruv. Names. It's it's just it's just vibes. He just does it for vibes. It, it's and that's it. It's like it's it's production with vibes. And that's and that's, that's there you go. You 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 got it. You got it. You 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 took it out of my mind. You 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 molded it a bit. I see it now. I see it. I see where I was going. But listen, listen to the way. Good. Listen to the way DJ Clue did this. He did this Fuck. so smart. Jada Kiss and Mary J Blige on the first track. Then you've got Jay Z the second track. Then you've got DMX the third track. All of those are linked. There are layers to that shit. Then you got Beans and Freeway, Rockefeller, The Link. Then you've got LOX, Cameron, Nature, and Fabulous. Holy fuck. Then you've got Buster Rhymes and Ra Digger. Then you've got Raekwon and Ghostface. Then the next one, you've got Meth, Eminem, and Royce, Linked Again. Then you've got Snoop Dogg and Corrupt. And the very next song is Jay-Z, Corrupt, Daz, Dillinger, Beanie Siegel, Memphis Bleak. Fucking all linked. Then two songs later, in like, what was this, 2001... You've got fucking Nas, Live from the Bridge. Two songs after Jay-Z. Like, bro, DJ Clue, that's the... And then you've got the very next song, Foxy Brown. Like, give me... Like, that is... He's doing shit, man. He knows what the fuck he's doing. Like, and that's the Meanwhile. Meanwhile. Lil Wayne and Jeremy. It's a data dump of names. Lil... (laughs) Her and Migos. No, like just no. <laughs> Post Malone, the baby, and Mega the Stallion. Like, what is that? <laughs> Justin Bieber and Twenty One Savage. What is that? <laughs> and and the, the artists are clearly oh. there's there's clearly a oh. there's a, there's no motivation. So How is their motivation? Look, if you're putting if you're putting Capone oh. and Noriega and Mob Deep next to each other on a track oh. list. Fuck me, there's motivation, bro. There is a shitload of motivation right there. You have Nori followed by Prodigy. That's epic. That is so... In 2001, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Prodigy's book about what he said about Nori. Like, and rest in peace, Prodigy. And I know they pieced it up before he passed away. Rest in peace, Prodigy. But, like, there's no motivation for anyone to do anything on a DJ Khaled tape because, like, DaBaby and Post Malone are on a song and then Big Sean and Justin Bieber and then Cardi B and 21 Savage. It's just, like, all over the place. It's like, who cares? But if Nas is coming two songs after a Jay-Z song, what do you think Nas is going to do? He's going to scorch... The fucking earth. And if Foxy Brown is coming after a Jay-Z and a Nas song, she's going to scorch the fucking earth. Like, that's the thing. And that's, you know, it's that same old adage, you know, Buster Rhymes said uh, back in 2000, 
Back in the day, people used to fight to be the last rapper on a song. You know, on Scenario, everyone everyone wanted the yeah. last verse on Scenario because they were just like, yeah. I'm just going to eviscerate That's everyone. Good. That's good. And if you're before yeah. Buster Rhymes on that song, you're like, yeah. holy shit, I need to do something here. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. And even as a, a smaller example, uh, when Rosenberg did that real late uh, that was fire. Uh, album. And that was good. You know what I mean? And there was, there was I, I feel like there was purpose towards those as well and towards those decisions. Um, so yeah, man, that's a, that's a that's a good smaller example. But yeah, man, um, it is an interesting dichotomy, I guess. Um, in in that case, uh, but yeah, um, so we'll finish up on something uh, a little bit lighter, a little bit uh, more uh, just um, um, kind of just like kind of like what we're feeling right now, I guess, in some ways, but not like a, you know favorite album so far or anything. Uh, ben, I want your top three uh music scenes going on right now. So um, you know, I I like this question because. It, it lends to specificity or broadness. I, I'm assuming you're not just going to go with the hip hop theme. Um, so you know it's going to require some <laughs> some sort of some form of specificity. Really like rock, your, you know, I think art. rock rock's doing <laughs> rock's coming back. You know, red hot. Guys, have you peppers. heard? Have you guys? Have you heard this reggae? Like just in general, reggae is great. Um, so yeah, uh, it lends itself to some specificity. Uh, may, whether it be you know location. Or um, sounds, uh, or you know, or even platform, um, you know, SoundCloud rap, for example. So, Ben, what have you, what are your th- top three music scenes right now, and why should people uh, get into those uh, particular, well, particular areas? I mean, look, you can get into them if you want. Uh, I'm not going to force. <laughs> no, you must. You do must, it. You must do it immediately as soon as we get off. But the homework f- for next week. The first one is the the jazz trio revival. Now every week I run through mm. hundreds of new songs, sometimes more even, and it's kind of like my switch off activity at the end of the day. Just sit on the couch for an hour and listen to new music. One of my favorite tropes in what I've been listening to lately in 2022 specifically, a little bit in 2021, but not so much, is just the jazz trio. So. Like Avishai Cohen, Elchin Shirinov, and Roni Caspi, or Romain Pilon, Yoni Zelnik, and Jeff Ballard, or the Talking Therapy Ensemble, or the Juna Toivonen Trio, or the Espenberg Trio. You know, this is a very common thing where it's, I'm seeing it over and over again. I'm getting, you know, hundreds of songs a month that are coming down through this pipeline. And I really appreciate it. I'm not going to pretend to be knowledgeable at all in modern jazz. Uh, really, the only name I'm going to recognize is Melody Gardot. That's the extent of my, my name recognition. But for me, it's a real throwback to dive back into the jazz scene after about 15 years away from it. And again, not that I was into contemporary jazz in the mid-2000s, but I was listening to Thelonious Monk, uh, Benny Carter, um, you know, Miles Davis, obviously. Just all that kind mm-hmm. of Coltrane, like everything. I, I went down that Ming- Charles Mingus just went down that that uh, I wouldn't call it a rabbit hole. I mean, it was. Just, I think it's part of. I think it should be part of most people's musical education. If you really fucking love mm-hmm. music and you really want to know, yep. jazz yep. ran shit, you know. And and that's what I really like about oh, yeah. it. And I I really did track the way that jazz fell dramatically off the radar. Uh, in the 80s and the 90s and I did it and ironically through looking at the Grammys you know when I did a statistical piece on the Grammys I was looking at the different uh, musical genres that were being nominated for the, the major categories jazz was getting a lot of nominations and then they just dipped completely and there was like no jazz nominations for like 20 years so 
I really like the new version of things. It's not necessarily that they're doing something new and exciting and they're really changing and pushing the genre forward, but it's so, so, so time for a revival. It is so, so a time for a revival of that of that, that time period in that era that we're so far removed now from back then that it's going to sound fresh in 2022. So I'm really fucking loving that. Um, I've got the post-punk. Post-punk's like 97,000th revival. Uh, basically, <laughs> par- Parquet Courts and Beach Postles kind of teed this up nicely in the early 2010s. Wait, was MGK? Well, there you go. That's the that's the 987,001st revival from fucking MGK. But look, as I say, Parquet Courts, Beach Fossils, early 2010s, they kind of paved the way for Sleaford Mods, Black Country, New Road, Yard Act, Idols. And it's a genre that I was obsessed with in the mid-2000s, absolutely obsessed with Ambulance, LTT, Block Party, Does It Offend You? Yeah, Elephant, Hard Fire, Kill Hannah. There's, there's a billion of them. And I was just deeply, deeply, it was my regular rotation. And the problem was all the cool bands lost their way. You know, Placebo released an album called Loud Like Love, Kasabian quantize their guitars, you know. It'd actually be quicker to list all the bands that didn't fall victim to pop death than those who actually did. I mean, if you listen to Phoenix, you listen to, I think, their first album and their second album, you're just like, that's got to be the quickest. That's the quick. The Rifles as well? Fuck me, man. And I really only think an artist like Spoon, a band like Spoon, sorry, are one of the only bands to start in the early 90s and just maintain that authentic aesthetic. And maybe that's just the nature of the music industry. Like, if you look at the fan base for Black Country New Road, it's definitely a younger generation. So what happens in 10 years when that younger generation grows up? You know, does the band try to appeal to the early 20s crowd still or do they update? And that's what I quite like about Yard Act. I mean, they're in their 30s already. And they're now, this is their debut album. I think it came out this year or really late last year. And what I find fascinating is they're really tapping into my generation's, uh, what's the best way to say it? Because look, a lot of people in my generation, we grew up on punk, we grew up on post-punk, we grew up on on like grunge, we grew up on this like aggressive, like anti-establishment, even a little bit of uh, just chaos, chaos, nihilism, all this stuff. And there are still so many people my age out there who feel the same way. But we don't feel like we can connect to the younger generation because they have a completely different set of problems than what we had and what we have. There's a lot of responsibility on that generation now. They have, they've got the weight of the fucking world on their shoulders. They've got the weight of the future. They've got climate change. They've got the economy. They've got COVID. They've got so many things. We have different, you know, we're starting to have kids and have families and responsibilities and we're worried about the, the world, what the world's going to be like for our kids. So it's harder for us to connect to a 19-year-old post-punk band, but I really feel like we do need 30-year-old, 40-year-old bands for us to like tap back into uh, and that's why I quite like Yard Act and I really do like this revival. Um, it's certainly coming through. It's certainly coming through. I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes. Finally, I just fucking love Michigan rap, man. I really love Michigan rap. I like, I think that Yachty is incredibly underrated as an artist. I think that uh, this whole offbeat fucking kilter shit, T Grizzly's killing it right now. Just everyone in Michigan rap, just every, every couple of weeks an album comes out and it's different. You know, when I was younger, one of the things that, one of my first experiences was um, 
discovering Frank Zappa, right? And I'd never heard anything like Frank Zappa before. I, it was like, what the, f- literally, what the fuck is? And that was the same feeling I got the first time I heard Waterfalls by TLC. And we were driving along in the car, right? And Waterfalls came on, and I grew up on rock because I'm, you know, from Sydney. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Stop the fucking car. We have to listen to this song. It's felt the same way about Frank Zappa. And ever since those two discoveries, I realized that. I just love listening to music that sounds completely different to what's going on everywhere else. And I actually do think what Michigan is bringing right now is not it's not a distillation of something else. It's not an update on something else. It's not a it's 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 just fucking raw and it's different and it's unique and it's unique to a specific area and region which is becoming increasingly rare in modern hip hop and just in modern music in general you know hip hop obviously i i miss the region based like type and i wasn't even part of i'm not there i'm i'm in a completely different country but i just fucking yeah. love that idea of of a sound you know was it, i think we were talking about the far side and they were yep. where were they they were somewhere and they didn't sound like Rakim and they didn't sound like New York because they just were never exposed to that before and and they they credited that not being in New York with sounding so unique because they're like if we were in New York we would have fucking sounded like native tongues like we just would have and yeah man that's what I, I I'm really loving what's happening in Michigan right now I, I think it's incredible I uh, I'm super excited to hear just every, any any album from there right now i'm a stan i'm like a stan i'm like i don't even <laughs> care if it's objectively bad i just fucking love it so that's my three charlie that's my three nice that's good that's good stuff there um uh, my three uh two of them uk based definitely um so the first one is definitely uk jazz for me um i feel like uh, i feel like i've been really privileged to find this in the time i did um you know, I started that. I started getting into jazz a couple of years ago, man, a few years ago now, and uh, you know, I kind of just for, you know, try and find UK instead, uh, instead of just you know, hitting up all the regular ones that everyone's heard of, um, which kind of kneecaps me at su- in one in some conversations where <laughs> you know I haven't listened to every legendary jazz artist yet. Um, but I've listened to a ton of UK artists, UK jazz artists that are still that are doing it now, and I can easily just you know um, shout these out. So um, you know, as a collective, uh, Theon Cross, Alpha Mist, uh, 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 Blue Lab Beats, of course, um, and even that um, kind of leads to you know just just the the reason why it's so good as well, where it has this evolutionary um kind of a, a fluidity where it's not just straight up jazz we have someone like blue lab beats doing jazz and having a song like labels for example with tiana major nine and kofi stone and you know that track is relatively hip-hop but then like there comes this bit at the end where there's just these absolutely amazing uh just uh horn section going on and that happens throughout the throughout the album and throughout their work so you know it's jazz tronica how they call it um, John and Jones, Jerome Thomas, uh, Imogene Thackeray, Nubian Twist, uh, 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 bloody hell, I'm trying to, trying to think of others, but like, there's, there's, there's so many in my mind, Coco Roco, uh, Reuben James, Tom Misuse of Days, uh, bloody hell, yeah, Steam Down, 
Daniel Casimir, uh, Moses Boyd. Yeah, there's just so many. Like, just absolutely outstanding uh, jazz eyes. And the reason why I love that, the whole scene at the moment, is, you know, referencing what I just said. They, they, they bleed into other things. Like, these artists are working with UK hip-hop artists um, or UK soul artists. It's so... The, the melting pot is happening right now. Nubaya Garcia, another one. Um... The, the the blending that's happened now are happening now is so fascinating to me um and uh, a good link towards that to my second one is uk soul um where you know you had uh your omars right your uh um oh, bloody hell uh your shirley bassies uh, uh you even even your um Damn, man! Even your uh, soul to soul, right? That's not like quite our. That's not like, you know quite soul music in, in the way I'm talking about. Um, but you know they do great stuff as well. Um, I'm I'm gonna kind of uh, flag up that we should do that. Uh, do them during a <laughs> UK uh, Black History Month in October. But um, that's for another day. Um, but yeah, you know they had there. What there's been a so- there's been UK soul about right, but not like right now where it's just been this you know, a little groundswell, and it's kind of come off the back of the recent rise of UK jazz as well, where you have the likes of Jordan Riquet, the eager Ella Mays, Joel Culpepper, friend of 5e, shout out, um, you know, these uh, artists that have these amazing voices in general, and, you know, they, they know their soul and R&B uh, roots, but, they, but they're not quite pastiche in it, they're not they're not just you know trying to be retro in that sense um obviously you know my one of my favorite albums last year was obviously lauren villa's pink noise but that's and also it's more pastiche and the the others here are not doing that which is fine i don't i'm fine with both by the way but it's, it's interesting having these people do their own kind of soul and uh and and keeping the essence but also just evolving it um, shout out to Joel Culpepper for doing Sergeant Culpepper because that's a great example where it has these Curtis Mayfield vibes, but it's very modern. It's very UK as well. It's very fascinating in that sense. Um, and I think my last one, um, I have, I've, I've been trying to rack my brain as to, as to what my third one would be. Um, but I keep coming back to Chicago for some reason. Um, I feel like I, I'm trying to think of names. Obviously, like, you know, the likes of Vic Spencer, for example. Um, and obviously Lupe still. <laughs> okay, right. Obviously, <laughs> God, you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Good shout. Um, you know, obviously, Lupe still doing his things. Common still doing his things. But um, but you know, you know, no name. Obviously, come soon. Hopefully, soon coming through with an album sometime this year. She's kind of teased it um, a couple of times in the past few months. So you know, I'm sure there's something there in the pipeline. Smino, obviously, Sabar, obviously, that we um, you know, see drops a one of the best albums objectively this year already. Um, I'm just, but even as I said, you know, my boy Neek, uh, interviewed him a few years ago. He's doing his things. He has a whole collective of artists doing doing their things as well. Um, I'm just really fascinated of Chicago music at the moment. Um, International Anthem is a jazz label, and you know that I think they hail out of Chicago, and they have plenty of uh, Chicago-based musicians as well. And th- they do amazing work as well. And every album you see from their label is just totally different from the next one um locationally as well as um obviously musically uh so you know shout to them on that front by proxy of the fact they just you know reside in chicago um but 
I think it's partly because I think it's more of a personal thing for me because I finally got out of that rigid understanding of just like oh it's either Kanye West Common or drill music you know what I mean it's not it's once I got out of that and started hearing other artists that came from Chicago and have always and all of them have that different different essence right they all have that different different vibe and different style going on you know it's not like uh 90s New York boom bap for example where you know for you know not not ne- not in a negative sense but you know they have different they have like the same similar production ethics right but with Chicago music there is just no there's just no rules to it no name does not sound like Smino Smino does not sound like Saba Saba does not sound like Vic Spencer the Vic Spencer doesn't sound like Lupe Fiasco they're all different in their own way and I love that to death I it re- the the variety that you get with Chicago music and Chicago hip hop especially really really just um it's really impressive it really honestly is very impressive to think about and um I can't wait to just continue to explore that and uh, just to see, um, you know, certain artists bio and it's just like, oh, a rapper from Chicago. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, another one. Because I feel like I've been doing that in another the past couple one. of years where I'm just like, damn, an- an- another Chicago um, heater. And, uh, and, they, and they don't sound like anything else apart from that, uh, even though they all grew up in similar spaces. It's so interesting how that comes about. Even when you look at, like, West Coast, for example, right? You know, they all have very similar um, roots, and it's shown in that, right? But even when Chicago have similar roots, they all come out very differently, and I just find that very interesting of how they manage to do that. I don't know if they actively do that, Try actively try and be unique to themselves, or they or it just comes naturally. There must be, uh, I don't know, man. There's something in the water. There's something in the water for Chicago. Um, so shout to shout to the Chicago artists artistically, especially. Obviously, a very underrated um city in terms of you know general culture. Um, you know, some of the best comedians in the U.S. Um, you know, uh, uh went to Chicago. Um, to sharpen up on comedy. Um, virus school, I forgot what the school's called, but um, you know, something like that. Um, and obviously Chicago music in general, Chicago art, I'm, I assume is 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 booming as well. Uh, so yeah, man, shout out to Chicago in general. It's just um really interesting music scene there. Um, for sure, uh, evolutionary. And then I said, which I'll be in. Uh, well, finish on that and uh, hop into a lighter note. Ben, how's the boy? It's good, man. It's good. So I went up to, I went into regional New South Wales, yes, on Saturday to buy the bike. And yeah, yeah, I didn't know I was going to buy it. You know, I I found it on on, uh, bike sales and we got there and oh my God, it was so, it was an an emotional experience because the woman who was selling it, she was in her 60s and she bought it when she was, I think she just turned 60 when she bought it. And she hadn't ridden in like 30 years and she loved it. She absolutely loved this bike and she took beautiful... It was It's a 2007, but it's absolutely immaculate. And she was there with her grandson and she was just... It was She's just like a sweet woman. She was so sweet and she was almost in tears when she said, look, I, can't, I, feel un, I don't feel confident riding it anymore and I think it's time for me. I think my riding days are over and it was just... It was a, it was such a almost spiritual experience. Like my riding days began when her riding days were ending, and I was taking ownership mm. of this bike that had given her so much joy. And my partner rode it home, 
And that was the scariest drive I've ever been on because she was in my rear view the whole time. And I don't, look, this might be a bit of a public service announcement, but it is very hard riding a motorbike. I know that motorbike riders, a lot of them are just reckless and not a lot of them. Some of them are reckless. Yesterday when I was driving home on the M5 in the tunnel, these two motorbike riders were zooming at probably 120 in an 80 zone between cars, like weaving in between cars in shorts and a t-shirt like that is just stupid that is supreme stupidity but most riders that i've interacted with now that i've become a rider are, are very calm people they they it's all about safety it's all about keeping each other safe on the road and watching my partner ride behind me was fucking terrifying i was like holy shit she's out there in the elements like i was really scared but i ended up riding about 60k's yesterday i just rode around my area a little bit and it's difficult it's really difficult if you've ever driven a manual car it's easier but you know, it's 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 way more difficult than I thought it was going to be, and um, it's good. But I really love it. It's uh, I spent seven k on the bike, which is the most money I've spent on something other than my car in my entire life. Um, so it was it was really hilarious because I went to the bank to withdraw the money, and I'd taken like I take medicinal medicinal cannabis, and I was a little bit stoned by the time I got to the bank. So I'm just kind of in there like with my hair and like uh hey can i get seven thousand dollars out and the woman's like are you sure about that and i'm like yeah i'm pretty sure about it and she just puts it on this money counter like it it, but it doesn't count it just weighs the bills so i you know and she did it in 50 so it was 140 50 notes and i'm like so I got home and I counted it 18 times. It took me an hour. I'm like, I'm going to make sure she didn't fucking shortchange me $50. But yeah, it was all there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's all done. And look, motorbike riding yeah. is really scary. It is actually a really scary thing to do. I've, I'm proud of myself because I set myself this goal uh, in early February. I was like, I'm going to get my license and I want to ride with my partner because she's a motorbike rider. And I'm pretty close to achieving that now. You know, it's been two months of hard work, two months of learning, two months of courses and paying a sh... I'm, I've probably shelled out like eight and a half, nine grand to do this. So it's not a cheap pursuit. But on the flip side, the, the, the other reason I'm really proud of myself is because it took me about two years to save this money, three years. I wasn't saving it for anything in particular. Uh, I was just saving it in the hope that... Because, you know, I've, I've had a pretty rough life. Like, psychologically, there's not many things I've enjoyed in my life. There's not many things I've wanted to do. There's not many things that, well, there's none, really. You know, people ask me all the time, why, like, psychologists, like, if you had any all the money in the world, what would you do? And I'm like, I guess buy a Lamborghini. But, like, I don't even think that would make me feel better. You know, there's nothing I've really desired to do with my money. And I'm proud of myself because this is the first time I've actually spent money on something I enjoy. So I'm 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 stoked. It's it's yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like I'm really happy with with it and uh yeah man, I look fucking sick. I look fucking cool. I feel cool. I feel like a bit of a dweeb. I mean, you know, like dad said to me yesterday, he's like, Do you wanna borrow my I've got knee pads? I'm like, Dad. You don't buy a motorbike and wear knee pads. You might as well not buy a fucking motorbike. Like, bro, that is not cool <laughs> at all. But it is pretty uncool to have a big learner thing on the back of your bike, the big bright orange mm. L. 
just sitting on the back of your bike. So the quicker I can get rid of that L and move it onto a P and then get rid of it completely, the cooler I'll be. But also, I um, just continuing on that theme, when my parents went to America in like 2019, I found an old school Rockerwear leather jacket, right, on sale. And I bought it. It was only 80 bucks, and it was a fucking bargain. And my parents had to buy another bag to bring it back from the States for me so I wouldn't have to pay shipping. And for two and a half years, it's just sat in my cupboard. Every now and then, my dad will be like, why is this here? Like, why did you make us buy this? This was such a useless purchase. <laughs> As soon as I got the bike, what do you think I did? Put that fucking Rockaway jacket on. Put that Rockaway And I look on, like fucking, I look like Jay-Z in the Do It Again clip. I look exactly, I don't look anything like Jay-Z in the Do It Again clip. But I feel, <laughs> I feel fucking, so sure, I bro. feel fucking sick. So Rockaway rides again, man. Rockaway rides again. So yeah, man, I'm a biker now. So yeah, hopefully no injuries. Sweet, bro. No, man, good to be you, man of you to find uh, just something to um something to cherish i guess and something an experience uh, a long-term experience to develop on um i feel like it's always something that uh most people should do and should find in their lives uh you know for me i feel like it's probably been my photography more recently and uh you know i literally went to a engagement party for one of my mates uh yesterday and you know i took a few photos of them and stuff like that and um i'll probably edit them sometime tonight or tomorrow and uh you know it's, it's really interesting um just having those having those just having those photos i guess in general because uh, i don't feel like i probably would if it wasn't for the fact that i had a camera on me um so and it really you know they, they start to mount up when you do those experiences and you take pictures of that kind of stuff and uh uh yeah man it's, it's really fulfilling um but yeah it's good to find it's good to know you found that um and uh excuse me lastly finish up um shout out to the grammys yeah, they are on as we record and they have given the best reggae album to an american uh majority white uh uh reggae band what? so right look out bruv look out oh. not gonna lie they look like you bear bear loads <laughs> They don't even fucking care anymore, eh? Like they bear look like they bear the the, lead, the I saw that the picture the, the one the dudes look like you look less like he looks like <laughs> so, me. So congratulations, yeah, congratulations, Ben. You've won best reggae who, album. Who won it? What's the, the name of their? What's the name? Uh, I f- I forgot. It's like uh, so so soja or something like that. I forget. I I funny enough, Ben. That's the last thing I looked at. Um. Um, you know when I, when I saw that, um, so I literally saw best reggae album trending on Twitter. And I was what? Like, oh, no. What is this bed? You see the vibes? <laughs> Soja, yeah, yeah. Respect, big up Soja. Look, man, I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna album. I'm not gonna make a reggae album. Like, come on now, this is just a bit silly. <laughs> That's taking a touch too far. American reggae band Soja, <sighs> shout out. Fucking hell! Yeah, can... shout out to the Grammys. Um, they're going on as we, as we speak. Don't know the big ones yet, um, but it's just, but we just want to take uh, you know raise a glass as always every year to to always say fuck the Grammys standard procedure. Um, and that was just uh, if if we if we had no other reason to, that was just one of a thousand for sure. Um, and that is it, that, ladies and gentlemen. That, hang on, just super quickly. There's an NPR article from 2011 
non-Jamaican oh, no. reggae. Who's making it and who's buying it? And the first fucking name they mention is Soja. <laughs> well, there you go, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, well, I mean, honestly, in reggae history, it's kind of interesting. Like, uh, there were, um, like, a uh, shout to um, the likes of the specials um, from back in the day. Um, but they were black and white, so it's not like, you know, there was that. But that's why they were so interesting as a band, because... They had black, they had black people, they had white people, and they were British, and that was kind of the point. That was kind of the vibe. Um, but that, that's that shit. That's that's just a grievous. <laughs> Especially beating the likes of Spice and Jesse Royal is so oh so it, it just boggles my fucking mind. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, for the fifth podcast ever, this has been Digging Did It. So enjoy this episode. I have been Charlie Taylor the fifth. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Uh, 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 we hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. Third anniversary episode drop in next episode. Going to have some fun on that. Do some reflection. Hmm. Do a bit of a questionnaire to get to know to get to know us more, um, uh, more existentially, and obviously a couple of games as well. Get some games in sure. Since we since we had a we since we had fun doing those last year. I don't know which one we're gonna do, um, but uh, we'll we'll do at least one of them. Um, and uh, I also have a also have a personal uh, interview um, via a Twinergy. Uh, shout out oh, to yeah, Mike Film. How uh, firm, sorry. Um, yeah, so part one has dropped, um, basically covering my personal music journey and uh, women in hip hop. Had a good conversation there. That, that's about half an hour. If you have got half an hour of your time, uh, just go peep link in uh, link in five uh, e bio on the link tree, um, or just search up harmonic firm twenty g something like that, and uh, you'll find it there. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be a couple more parts. Um, we did it for three hours, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of parts to come through in the coming weeks and I'll keep you up to date on that one but with that said hope you all have a good week which I was trying to do the same but until the next time take it easy thanks for jumping alright peace Digging the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter the show is edited by me music for this show it's piece and video games by bonus points thanks to Chill Freckles for ability use Social sort of fifth element hip hop by numbers, bonus points and chill records will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us, which I'll see you next time. I'll dig in in the digits. <laughs>